I'm Renee Ritchie and I'm a tech analyst. I'm Georgia Down, I'm a psychotherapist. And welcome to Apple Talk, where we discuss the psychology of technology. Oh, I like that. I like that. Is that the first time you said that? No, that was smooth. I've been saying that like almost every episode. Have you? Yes. Oh, still smooth. And what else do we do, Georgia? We deal with Microsoft and Amazon, Apple, sometimes, all the Face time. Facebook today? <laughs> Facebook, a little bit of Facebook. All right, do you want to start with Apple or you want to start with Facebook? Uh, let's do Apple. All let's right, start so with happiness and then end with a train wreck. Quick question first. Last week's episode, previously on Apple Talk, you stole my 11-inch iPad Pro. I did. And? What's the verdict so far? I really, I really like it. Really? I really like it, except there's no escape key on the keyboard. Yes, but why would you use, you're not a developer. I like to, so whenever I watch a video, the one thing I do when okay. I bring it out, when my decompression, because I use these for decompression, is after I've in, like made a video full screen, I want to press escape to close it. But now you have like a touch screen, you could just. I don't want to touch. But you I don't want a touch want screen on your reach. Mac. I want both. I want the option, but I want both. Okay. So that if I'm typing, I press escape. If I'm tactile There's probably a different key that does it. We should have to look it up. Probably. Oh yeah. Okay. So let us know in the all comments. Right. Yeah. If there's another. Tweet key. me. I, I'll be honest. I don't read all the comments what? all the time. How dare I you? sometimes do, but send it directly They've to me. I need to know this. They're valuable time commenting on the video. Please, I will to... read every single comment okay. now. Good. Good. Yeah. Especially the negative ones. <laughs> no, just kidding. Hashtag. Hashtag. Me. Read this, Georgia. <laughs> all right. So, um, ten years ago today, Steve Jobs passed away. Wow. I remember we did a podcast that day where you helped people deal with. Because it's, it's not like the grief of losing a family member, like a long-term friend, but it was someone who was such a powerful cultural figure and that people who loved Apple just identified with so much. Which is an interesting thing, right? Because people, one is when you don't really know someone, you often project onto them what you want to. And when it's someone that's very powerful, that interacts with you, that you see their public persona, which is completely different from their private persona, and you hear all of these stories that are all a little bit of a twist on probably who he really was as a person. You believe that you really, a facet, yeah. odds are, yeah. um, but you believe you really know this person. And so to have someone that is iconic to you taken away from you, it's really painful. And it's a pain that kind of lasts for a very long time. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things that are, and this is a tangent, I apologize. That's one of the things that I think Eastern culture has addressed better than Western culture because we have like these, the, like we, we cry hypocrisy very quickly, but we really do, like who you how you relate to your parents is different than how you relate to your siblings, is different than how you relate to your children, is different than how you relate to a lover, to a spouse. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not the same. To a teacher, to a student, to people in the locker room, like who you're doing sports with, to people in the boardroom, who you're making. All of these are aspects of you, but none of them are the sum total entirety of you. No, and when you have a product that you love, and this person made that product, you impart some of that care towards the person as well. Yeah. Then you find out that maybe they're not that great of a person or they're horrible or they're, or they're dealing with this and they're, yeah, well, again, unfortunately, you, everyone, like, everyone has bad, horrible days. If you're under the limelight constantly, that is magnified yeah. and that becomes really difficult to be able to manage. And we're not taught how to deal with that kind of fame and scrutiny. And so people that are maybe more volatile, maybe more stringent, that can leave a lot of negative stories out there, which people, when you're very popular, love to run with also. Well, so 
I mean, there are people who worked with Steve Jobs, and I, I don't want to get off, again, I'm getting off so many tangents here. There are people who worked with Steve Jobs who said that it was the best time of their lives. They did their absolute best work. He could get the best out of them. He was like a visionary, um, and they, they loved it. They've never felt more actualized. And then you have people who just, like, he called me a bozo. He fired me eight times. I hated that place. And then you have people who were, like, in the middle saying, I hate, you know, it was the most stressful time of my life, but I did my best work. And you have that whole range of emotions. But I think, I think that's normal because every relationship is a composite of both people involved in it. Well... Steve Jobs was a very strong-minded and at times rigid and really had a vision and wanted that vision to happen. Yeah. And he was not an easy, complacent, caretaking type of person. That's not his personality. And so if you were able to be more moldable, if you deal really well under a rigid set of rules, this can help you thrive. If you are already perfectionistic and you share some of these traits, this can propel you forward. If you lean towards being oppositional, if you are more reactive, if you are sensitive yeah. to being pushed, pulled, pulled back, insulted, uh, this can be a horrible interaction. So personality types have a lot to deal with what other personality types take care of. And that can become very, very difficult. But I think that those that had close relationships with Steve that could see beyond those difficulties because he cared so much in the product that he was creating, they were like his children. And if you see that often people can be really, like they can be the, the kindest people to everyone else's children, but to their yeah. own children because they care so much because it matters too much. It's a part of who they are. It's an extension of who they are can become difficult, horrible, and rigid, and you often have people that are like, they're the sweetest person in the world, and then the kids are like, well, you know. So that's one hmm. of the things that I find, like they're, they're going back and watching some of Steve Jobs' old videos, right. there are some that are incredible. I'm just gonna give you a very short list of my favorites, and I'll try to include links. Uh, remind me to include links. If I don't include links, hashtag, where are the links? Right. Um, there are a few videos that I think are, are really amazing. One was um, a speech he gave about consultants, saying he didn't believe in consultants because they had no skin in the game. So he'd rather hire them and put them in charge of shipping than just pay them like a one-time fee for their hot take. Another one was, this guy said, what did you do to OpenDoc? And he's like, I'm sorry, you know, we can't do everything. We have to focus. OpenDoc had to die. Like he basically got insulted in a question and answer and he was just honest about it. Another one that was really good, well, his Stanford speech about when he was told, when he was, told he was diagnosed with cancer and, and they, he thought he only had a year to live. And he said, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that from that moment on, he knew that he had to focus his life. I didn't know he focused it in the best way, but I knew he had to focus it. Right. Um, and then there were several of his keynotes, like when he announced the secret life of Intel and, uh, you know, for the Mac and when he announced the iPhone and when he announced the iPad, uh, just what he had this ability to see the future, like the things that like we take for granted now, like networking and having our stuff sync between devices. Uh, like he could see where he wanted to. And one of the things I liked best is he never mistook the technology for the feature, the experience, and he never mistook the product for the company. So like he never shipped NFC, he shipped Apple Pay or Apple shipped Apple Pay. He, he was like, um, I don't like. I don't care what this this, this technology can do. What is the experience we're going to deliver? Then go find me the technology. Right. And other people who've tried to be Steve Jobs forget that, and they forget the part where he didn't want iTunes on Windows, but Eddie Q and, and Phil Schiller convinced him to. He didn't want an iPad Mini, but Eddie Q and Phil Schiller convinced him to. He he had huge opinions, but he hired smart people, and he was willing to let them 
change it? If they o- could, if they could show him the reasonings for that, because he also understood what he was wanting to do, but he was not so rigid yeah. that it was his way or the highway. He was able to let go of some of that control, which is a huge testament to his amount of trust to the people that he hired. But I think that when we're talking about Steve Jobs as the person, I think a lot of people that are exceptionally good in one area of a field, it is often at the cost of other things. And we have to, people are very, very complex and everything comes with a cost. You cannot give 110% in one area of your life and give 110% in all the other areas of your life. And so that becomes very difficult. And that's why some of the people that have moved society in certain ways are often lacking in different areas of their own psyche because they were so focused on one thing that they developed that and spent all of their energy to that. Yeah, there's this this there's this version of here like here's to the crazy ones. That's a, the ad campaign he did when he returned to Apple when you, when he said you know sometimes like it's crazy people well, are the only a ones. Really but, good ad. But I don't Richard love the Dreyfus, title. Narr- well, it was a I different don't love time. The title. Like, things yeah. were insanely great. The and, title, yeah. Um, yeah. And, but it was like Muhammad Ali and Mahatma Gandhi. No, these and, were people that like people like again I. I don't love the word crazy being used to it. And I think that if they read that ad today, they would be like using the word of visionaries or people that were unique. But I think that he used that term specifically for people that were told you shouldn't do this, stay in line, don't go outside of the scope of what you should do. And they were called names like crazy or you're an outsider, you're a black sheep or no one's going to believe you or why should you do this? And I think that he used it specifically to take a term that was used and maligned to be able to show that greatness is often outside of the box. Absolutely. And the it was Richard Dreyfuss who did the commercial, but there's a version um, on YouTube, which again, I'll try to link to, where Steve Jobs does it. There'll be no links in um, this video. And it's just, it's, it's, really, it's really wild to hear because he did have that overwhelming drive, that passion um, to like he said the iPad was the most important thing he ever created because he had this relentless drive to democratize computing. He didn't want everything locked up inside IBM server rooms. He wanted them on every he desk. He wanted them all locked up and in then, Apple server but, rooms. Well, yes, but I mean, he don't, like he thought command lines were hard for people, so he wanted right. graphical user interfaces. Right. And he thought mouses and mice and keyboards were intermediating, so he wanted multi-touch. He wanted to continually create, and that angered traditional computer people. They thought it was like stealing fire from the gods and giving it to the mere mortals. Like, how dare you? You're not in academia. How dare you have a computer? You're not a you're not like in business. How dare you have a computer? And he just kept this relentless drive to make computers easier and more accessible. And I think that in that he did. And he made it so that people of all ages really can use the technology without as much stress as they would use beforehand. I think that he he did a really good job about seeing a vision and then working backwards to be able to create that vision and bring it back to the people. And I think that it was he changed computing forever. And there's this wonderful Johnny Ive article in the Wall Street Journal today um, where he talks about talking with Steve and how they, they just wanted to listen a lot of the times because talking would obliterate ideas and ideas are fragile. And that when you just when you focus on the problems with the ideas, you also obliterate the ideas because they're so nascent. You don't even know what they are yet. So they would try to like give these ideas room and let them breathe and they would uh, it's just it, it was delightful to hear because I, I just picture it in Johnny's very proper British accent. Uh, I don't know if that's actually a proper British accent. British people are you can be really fussy about accents, so forgive me if I got that wrong. But to me, it's like the quintessential Johnny Ive Apple White Room narration video right. accent aluminium. 
Right. Uh, just talking about his love of brainstorming with Steve Jobs. Right. And what that was like. Yeah. And he let a little, us a little bit into um, this intimate time that he got to have with Steve and um, reflecting upon the loss of that. We, we learn about object pers- permanency so early that even yeah. if an object is placed behind another object, it is still there. And so uh, dealing with loss is also really, really hard, but very, very human. Yeah. And so he is he still works with Apple in his new company, Love From. He just announced a deal with Ferrari. He just announced that he's working with Lorene Powell Jobs on some of her projects, which is nice that the families are still communicating. But uh, I could not believe it when it happened. I was just sitting down and the news came in. And I remember people were flooding Apple stores. And it's been 10 years already. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah, and Apple's been hugely successful. But I think anybody, you know, some people talk about Steve versus Tim, and I don't think it's a versus. I think it's a Steve and Tim. But I think it's also a very unfair thing to take someone, someone that was a visionary and created it. And I think that Tim was the uh, a wonderful person to take those visions and continue it. I think that it is different. I don't think that it is a fair thing to be able to put them one against the other because their roles and who they are as people are very vastly different. Yeah. I think that Tim is calm and thoughtful and listens, um, but also you can tell that he can toe the line and say that you know yeah. this is what has to happen versus um, Steve is kind of like a firecracker and straight up for what he wants to have fire done. Fire and ice. And a dance he's of gonna, fire, a song of fire and he'll ice. He'll burn through anything <laughs> if he fire. needs to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that they're different, but I think that Tim yeah. did a great job to continue his legacy. Well, I was just going to say is that, you know, he, Steve Jobs resigned before, before he passed away and he asked the board to make Tim Cook the CEO. And I think, you know, as we'll, t- we'll talk about in just a, a hot minute, sometimes having the founder as a CEO is a good thing. And sometimes having the founder as a CEO is not a good thing. And what I think he even was... do you mean, Renee? I think he was wise enough to know that, uh, you know, Apple would be in good hands and that what Tim could build upon what he built... It was a sum of both of them and not the either-or situation that was important. Right. So what do I mean? Yeah. Where to even start? It has been such an interesting weekend for Facebook. Uh, Yesterday, uh, as we record this yesterday, the famous, infamous whistleblower went live on 60 Minutes to talk about, like, we've always known the shenanigans that are going on with Facebook, things like... um, you know, like the negative consequences of ruthlessly uh, driven news feeds that favor engagement over everything else, including mental health. And we've also always known that, you know, in some areas of the world, including our areas, they've been used for radicalization and for misinformation. um, And and they've been hugely problematic. But she came with receipts, internal documents that Facebook had been essentially covering up. Like they were very careful in showing the documents that support the research that supported their positions, which was that Facebook was entirely additive. And this shows that it is also subtractive. It makes us better in some ways, but worse in some ways and worse in ways that can be really damaging to us. If we can touch upon like people that decide to like how much, like this is her career upon the line. This is her future. And to be able to, one, quit a company that you are paid very well for, be able to gather documents, you have to care so much that you must, you have to have such overwhelming information that shows that 
this is horrible in order to decide that I'm going to walk directly into the fire and I'm going to, to give as much gravity to my words, I am going to come out and say who I am. Because let's just say it, this is the cancel culture, this is the pitchforks, fire, we will try to destroy you. And Facebook, they will try to destroy you. They are not thrilled about this. And then trying to find work again after you have done this becomes imminently difficult. And so you have to believe so strongly and there's so few personality types that have that kind of guts to be able to show it, share it, talk about it. How bad does this have to be for you to do that? Think about your own job to be able to go out, gather information because you truly believe with all of your heart that this is damaging society. I, every time, like, it seems like every single week there's another horror, like, I never liked Facebook, right? I've never... You've never had a Facebook account. Never had a Facebook account, never wanted a Facebook account. But I'm a therapist, so I kind of like saw this coming from like, whatever. I don't know how long she Facebook's She called it an around. existential threat to democracy, I believe. I don't know the exact words, but it was along those lines. Yes. Yeah. So it is one of those things that I'm like, like, is this finally enough for people to hear it? Well, some of the issues that people have been talking about most recently is that... The difference between Facebook and Google, for, for, for example, and Google is an easy analogy to draw because they're another massive internet company that has you know, social networks and, so, and advertising yes. and algorithmic feeds and things like that. The difference is it seems like Google is willing at certain points to say, we don't care about the profit or the growth. This is the wrong thing to do. Where it seems like Mark Zuckerberg, when given that choice, has always chosen the profit and the growth. And the second really important thing is even with Larry and Sergey, uh, and now especially with Sundar Pichai, they are just the CEO. They, when they went public with their company, they sold enough shares that they have a board of directors who, you know, maybe they would never remove one of them, but they theoretically could be. They have shareholders who are not, you know, have some representation voice and they can be held to a certain amount of account. Mark Zuckerberg was very careful with the Facebook IPO to sell shares without giving away any control. He has absolutely no limits, no accountability. He's not responsible to the shareholders or to the board of directors. And I think that is a really dangerous position for people in power because power is so corrupting. If you remove any accountability from yourself, it's gonna have negative consequences. But that's what he wants, right? He doesn't care because there are no consequences. There have been so many scandals with Facebook. There have been so many huge scandals, scandals that have repercussions that have affected people's politics, that have polarized people, that have caused people's deaths, that have increased the levels of suicidality among certain populations. And he has always put profits ahead of everything else. And the only thing I can say in his defense, in comparison to Google, is that Google has so many eggs in so many baskets that they can afford to say, you know what, we're gonna now care about people. Um, And so I don't even, I think that it's disingenuous, truly, for, for us to say that Google really cares more about people. I think that Google has so many other profits now, they don't need to really worry about this. Facebook really has most of its eggs in one type of basket, even if we're talking about Instagram, um, we're, we're still dealing with a similar basket type. And so I understand that they want profits. My, my issue is that 
it never ma- like there's never a repercussion that is going to hurt them enough yeah. to be able to make him do anything about it. And so when like and hopefully with this release of files, which are there's tons of files that are coming out. A whitelist for people like important politicians, celebrities who weren't subject to Facebook's own policies. Right. Yeah. So you could say whatever you want <laughs> and get away with it. Yes. Because you were important. They Yes, now you have value. Yeah. But they Facebook knew. They know how to play the game. They play it really well. They are able to pay people off because they make that much money to be that make the rules and regulations that then they are going to have to follow. They went under. to the Trump administration to try to get antitrust regulations started against Apple because of Apple, what Apple was doing to prevent their spying on iOS devices. And then it sounds like they cut a side deal with Jared that said that they wouldn't enforce their their uh, their fact checking on political posts if he didn't do any regulations on yes. on Facebook, which is completely Machiavellian in like the worst possible ways. Yes, and again, brilliant for Facebook because it has worked for this long, and people still use it because you're stuck in the ecosystem. That's where you feel comfortable. That's where all of your friends are. And let's just say the usual taglines of, but I'm not doing anything wrong, so why should I care? And this serves me well enough, and this is where my friends are, and I enjoy this feed, and so it's fine. And we close our eyes while the world burns. How do you digest this, Georgia? If you are like a person and your family is on Facebook, you know, you have your friends on Facebook or on Instagram. We saw, we have creator friends who are mostly Instagram creators who like, they can't do anything today. Oh, we did, we forgot to mention Facebook is down. Totally buried the lead there. On the, the next day, right after the whistleblower, Facebook somehow screwed up their DNS. So if you're not familiar with DNS, domain name services, let's say you have your iPhone phone app, okay? And you're used to typing like Renee to get to me or your husband's name to get to him or your business partner's name to get to her. And someone wiped all the names out of the contacts and all you saw was numbers. Like you might know some of them, but like you don't know any of them. And for example, you know how to type facebook.com into a browser, you know how to type instagram.com. Do you know the numbers for those websites? No, I have no clue. So, I have no clue. So nobody can reach them. It's essentially like they're, they're, all their, their DNS has been taken off the internet and they can't even do internal emails. They can't do internal messages. So can I ask it like yeah. this? And this is, I'm just going to put on a little tiny uh, tinfoil hat for okay. a second. But it seems like the timing is really strange to me that they have, one, taken off the information of this huge dump of information against them and made a stronger story because everyone now doesn't have Facebook and Instagram. And, <laughs> oh, see what it's like without us. And so Taking my ball and going people home. Panic, people panic. We're talking about that instead of the fact so that wait, there's are a you huge suggesting? Leak. Are you suggesting that Zuckerberg watched 60 Minutes, said, fine, went over, pulled a plug, got onto his supersonic hydrofoil and is now booking it across the Atlantic with Daniel Craig in hot pursuit. I would say, and and again, this is a long shot. I don't think that this is probably probable because I would assume that this hurts them more than it benefits them. But my the conspiracist inside of me says it's more Machiavellian. It is, let's make a bigger story to hide the story that is negative about, about us. And mm, then everyone's mm, going to talk about that mm. instead of this. And our brains have little tiny short half-lifes of like five seconds. And then after that, we're like, ooh, Facebook is back Ooh, up. Kardashians. I'm so happy. Kardashians? I can never get that right. Kardashians? Kardashians? <laughs> Kardashians and Kardashians. Okay. Mm, um, they're mm. both. They're both on mm. Facebook, probably. But I don't know if they're new TikTok. 
Yes, exactly. I'm like a little pet. And like then, no, and no then, order. and then we go back to it because squirrel. Yeah. And we've forgotten about the story that yeah. was out that was negative. I just forgot that. now. There we go. Yeah. It works. So, but, so if you do have, um, how do you begin to process this kind of stuff? Like when you, because these are novel things. We never had anything like Facebook before. We don't have any media literacy around this kind of stuff. How do you deal with a company that is this important being so ostensibly counter to the very fabric of our society? Well, the, the one thing is that um, I think that people need to speak up. I think that people need to pay with their pockets. And they're, by paying with their pocketbook, by not using a certain product, that says a lot. I think that there's very few people that are in the younger generation that use Facebook anymore. But Instagram is very popular and very hot. And so... There are a lot of people that use Instagram. I'll be honest, TikTok is the main one that I hear of from people, and yeah. it works better. So it's a different algorithm, same thing. It's the same horror. Like again, I'm sure that they're doing and very the weird, similar the, horrible things. The but horrible or th thing is like people who defend Facebook, um, or at least one of the more compelling arguments that I've heard defending Facebook is that. All media is like this, like the New York Times and the Washington Post have done considerable damage because of the way they do like the false neutrality and the way that they go after sensationalism. Everything in the post O.J. Simpson era where everything is a spectacle, reality TV, 24-7, outrageous headlines, that's just as damaging. It's just they aren't as good at it as the Facebook news feed. They aren't as fast and they, aren't, they don't surface the things that engage our lower brainstems as quickly. Yes. 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 I think that... I, and the, the thing is that often we would say that media literacy will be able to fix this and help this, and it helps, but this leads to our primal part of our brain. It is entertaining, and we will take a positive reward versus living without a reward at all almost every single time. And so we want to feed that part of our brain. It becomes really hard without actual laws and regulations I'm not going to say that we're powerless without it. People can go without Facebook and Instagram and social media, but the world revolves around it now. Yeah. And that's it where most us. people spend their it's free time. And they feel they get all of their reward systems from that. And that becomes difficult to let go of. And so it is up to our lawmakers. And then we have to trust our lawmakers and who are the people that are making these laws. Mm. And how educated are they on the manner in which to do this? And then they're getting paid um, through lobbyists, money to be able to make the laws that benefit the people that are paying them. And to find out more about this, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. <laughs> Ting! Speaking of which, Georgia, um, I know if you're on Nebula, just keep watching. We have our bonus segment coming up for you. If you're not on Nebula, you can be. It's super easy, barely an inconvenience. Just go to... Uh, curiositystreams.com slash Apple Talk. It's 15 bucks a year for Curiosity Streams. Wonderful, wonderful documentaries and series and all of the nebulas. Um, Devin Stone, Legal Eagle, has good law word bad or something where he goes through all the misconceptions about legal terms. Brian from Real Engineering just dropped an hour-long documentary on the Boeing 787, the one with the fiberglass hull. It's like, I, I don't care at all about planes. I watched the whole thing. It was like just engrossing. There are so many good, good well, while Facebook is down, go watch all of those things. Um, but if that's fine, if you have to leave us now, totally understand. I mean, I'm going to cry on the inside, a little on the outside. But can, I, can, I, can, I, can I mention one thing that yes. I'm very excited about? Yes. Uh, or should I do it as another topic? Well, what about for our bonus segment? 
Okay, yeah. All right, can all right. Ooh, segment. mega tease, mega tease. If they, so just, yes, go over to Nebula, watch the bonus segment. But if you don't, Georgia, where can they find you? You can find me. I'm uh, on all of those social media things you're that are not, horrible. I'm on Twitter. Barely. At, uh, not really. Georgia at underscore Dow. I'm on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Georgia Dow and uh, anxiety-videos.com. Nice. And I'm at Renee Ritchie on Twitter, which is still up as of this writing. It's being pelted because no one else has anywhere else to go. There we go. But it's still up and youtube.com slash Renee Ritchie. Thank you so much for joining us.